0: This morning we're in Ephesians chapter 5, and we are in this three-week series on the biblical roles of men and women. And so as we are gathered together again, um, this uh, morning we have the blessing to open uh, the Word of God together. Finish this statement, it is my way or the highway. You know that. Hopefully you've never said that to anyone. Um, especially in uh, the marriages that some of you are in. Uh, Know this, that that is uh, sometimes the underlying statement for relationships, and specifically as we look at the relationship between Christ and the church and uh, husbands and wives today, that we would uh, keep that in mind. Uh, Know that as we look to the book of Ephesians, your, your homework this week is to read Ephesians, uh, specifically chapter 5 and 6, because everything in what the text we're going to look at today is in the context of what Paul the Apostle wrote to the church uh, in Ephesus. Know that before he wrote the letter, uh, the marriages in that time, especially under Roman rule, were very different in some ways that they are today today. Before he wrote that letter, a lot of marriages under under Roman rule were not viewed mainly as romantic relationships, but really more as a legal agreement, Uh, that the husband uh, legally had uh, ultimately all the authority and legal rights over his wife. Uh, And when Paul wrote to the church of Ephesus, that had changed somewhat, actually quite a bit, Uh, Women were gaining independence, they were gaining freedom, and so the husband at this point no longer had legal authority over uh, the wife, but the father did over his daughter even while his daughter is married. Therefore, legally, the wife could divorce the husband through the father, but also legally she was not really related to her husband or her children. I know those things sound weird. You can go back and read all about this. But this is the picture of marriage in the time when Paul sends uh, this letter to the church in Ephesus. And as I thought about those things, I was wondering, do you think there might have been some issues with marriages at that time? Are there issues in marriages today? Yes. You may think, oh, I picked the wrong Sunday. I'm not married or maybe those of you who are married, you're like, I picked the wrong Sunday. Uh, but for those of you who are not married, maybe you're, you, you no longer have a spouse. Maybe you haven't been married. Maybe you don't plan to be married. You might think, this has nothing to do with me today. You're completely wrong. Because if you read where we're going to start in verse 21, it addresses the whole church. And the whole text is about Christ and his relationship with the church And so he talks about marriage. He also talks about parents and children. He also talks about slaves and masters. And so all of this applies to every single one of you if you're a believer. If you're not a believer, I pray that today, as you hear the gospel of Christ, the Holy Spirit, as we were singing and praying, would open your eyes to the truth of the gospel and that you would be saved. Last week we were in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. Uh, It would be important if you uh, were not here to go back and maybe listen to that or read chapters 1 through 3 as that sets the stage for today and also for next Sunday with the biblical roles that God has has given men and women. We saw then that God created uh, men and women uh, in His image equally uh, but also distinct with different roles. And today we see that God has a clear perfect design for the relationship between Him and the church and in marriage. So it is important that all of us would understand these biblical roles. As you look at this, and we're going to read verses 21 through 33, the scriptural truth from the text this morning is this, through mutual submission, love, respect, and a Christ-centered focus, "'Husbands and wives mirror the love between Christ and his church, "'creating a powerful testimony of God's design for men and women.'" Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. This is at the conclusion of a portion which he writes about walking in love as Christ loves. He says in verse 21 to the church, "'Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. "'Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord.'" This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. The Word of God. Again, Father, we thank you for the Word that you've given us. Would you bless now the reading and the preaching of the Word, in Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever watched children, or maybe you yourself, uh, fight to get through a door, or fight to get in the front seat of the car, and there is chaos that breaks out and arguing and in fighting. Um, that's not a picture of mutual submission. Mutual submission would be to avoid the fight or the argument by stepping aside and letting the other person go first. This is what Paul writes to the whole church in verse 21 and throughout the text here is that there's to be mutual submission among the body of Christ. Look with me in verse 21. He says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, here's something so important that you would see in all of these verses today. Paul, the apostle, writing uh, God's word uh, that he's given him, um, is writing to Christians He's not writing to unbelievers and non Christians. He's not writing this letter to the world. There's a major difference between a letter writing to a church about submission and something being written to the world. This is written to the church, and it's something to take note of in each one of these passages of Scripture. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. The the world takes great pride in individualism and independence in the sense of I don't need any help. Um, And so when you read the word submit, submit equals bad, submit is wrong, submit is something that should not even be in the Bible is really what the world's argument is. So again, whether you're married or not, or you plan to get married or not, if you are a believer, this is written to you that you are to submit to one another in Christ and to serve one another in Christ just as Christ has served us. When you read chapters 5 and 6, you will see again the call to submit in marriage, the call to submit from children to parents The call to submit for servants and masters, or as we would say, the workplace today. This word submitting, uh, in the original language, is a military term. And it's a a term that means to arrange the troops in a military fashion under the command of a leader. It also means to have a, a, a voluntary attitude of giving in and cooperating. Submitting is the opposite of asserting. It means not to be a dictator. It means not to domineer over another person. This is so important for the church. How are we to be the body of Christ in unity if we're trying to domineer or dictate what things should do or how things should happen among the body of Christ? Paul writes to the church and says, as the body of Christ, you must submit to one another. It's not an option. It's actually a command for the body of Christ. And the example is who? Jesus Christ. The example of submission is Jesus Christ. As Jesus Christ submitted to the Father uh, to go to the cross, this is the picture that he uses in the relationship between us and Christ and, and uh, also here as we see in the marriage relationship. In John chapter 13, verses 14 through 15, it says, If then... Your Lord and teacher have washed your feet. You also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. This is that night that Jesus Christ gathered the disciples before he goes to the cross and he washes their feet. And Peter's like, No, don't do that, Lord. Not at all. And he says, If I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. He's like, Well, dump it on me. Wash all of me. But Jesus says, this is the example that I'm setting for you and you should do this for one another and how you would submit and serve one another. When you read about submission in Scripture, biblical submission is not about inferiority. It's not about uh, a domination of others, but it's about love. And as verse 33 says, respect. Husbands and wives are commanded here in scripture to submit to one another out of reverence for christ just as all of you who are in christ verse 21 are to submit to one another in christ your other assignment besides reading ephesians i know that's a lot six whole chapters i want you to read first peter chapter three i want you to understand that scripture never contradicts itself You may hear the world attack Ephesians chapter 5 and say, well, that word, that shouldn't even be in the Bible, that shouldn't even be there, but yet when you read in Colossians and you read in 1 Peter 3, you see God says the same things for the church and for marriages and relationships. He doesn't contradict. His word does not, and therefore know that we, or at least I believe, that the word of God is inspired, it's infallible, and so every single word, every single message, mark in its original language is the inspired word of God and therefore it is not me trying to give you some homily on how you should be living your life it is what does God's word say and therefore we hold to it and cling to it as Christians because if we don't believe this is God's word why are we even here this morning if this if God's word is not God's word we have nothing to say to the world about the gospel of Jesus Christ. and Therefore, I know that when you get to Ephesians chapter 5, when you read 1 Peter chapter um, 3, when you read in Colossians, these things become very controversial to the world and can be controversial among the relationships in the body of Christ. Well, let's spend a few minutes in verses 22 through 24. Let's look at the wives' role to respect and support her husband, the wife's role to respect and support. Uh, approximately 20 years ago, uh, one of my wife's friends was getting married. And being in the wedding party, um, there was supposed to be some dancing. And I am not a dancer. My kids will tell you that if I try to, they'll laugh quite hard. Um, we had to take dance lessons with the group, which I'm like, No. We have to take dance lessons. It's like, a, or, I don't know. I don't even know what type of dance. I just know you do all these steps and you do all this stuff. I felt, you know, it felt like you're walking in a box or something. So uh, I am not a good dancer at all. Even though I can play the guitar, or play the piano, and there's rhythm in my mind and play the drums, it's like I can't get my feet to, you know, whatever. And so we're doing a lesson in a room with the families and all this. And my wife's a great dancer. And, and it's like trying, and I'm literally stepping on her feet. Um, I'm, try, I'm, I'm laughing because I'm embarrassed and people in the room just have this down so well. But she was so supportive and encouraging of me in that moment, uh, totally complimenting my clumsy trying to lead in that dance. And I was thinking about that this week as I was reading this text in v- verse 22 because, again, when we read the word submit... Uh, This world has taken that word and just made it a monster. And so when you hear submit in the world, we think this is the worst thing to describe anyone. And what? Women are supposed to submit to their husbands? Well, what does the scripture say here? Verse 22, again, he's writing to Christians who are filled with the Holy Spirit. He's not writing to unbelievers wives christian wives submit to your own husbands as to who as to the lord now if he just left it wives submit to your own husbands we'd have a lot of trouble here if this was not tied in with submitting to one another as we as christ is our example we would have a lot of arguments then there would be a lot of fights there would be a lot of trouble but he says wives submit to your own husbands as to the lord same thing written in 1 Peter 3. The same thing written in Colossians chapter 3. A year ago, we were studying in the book of Titus together. Turn to Titus chapter 2. In Titus chapter 2, we saw instructions to the men and women of the church, to the younger men and the younger women of the church. And it says this to the women in Titus chapter 2, verse 3. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to too to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. So again, if you go through all these texts, God's word is seamlessly matched together and never contradicts itself. So, what we have to do then is go back to Ephesians here. Is what does it mean? If we read in Genesis that God created man and woman in his image uh, equal in value, what does this mean when you come to the submitting part? Because we read in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28 there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This speaks of God creating men and women in His image, but yet that one, that verse is argued uh, in the world and um, even in the church uh, to argue for things that Scripture never declares. Now, as He's created men and women equal and, and, and made in His image, we also know From our study in Genesis 1, 2, and 3 last week, that God has also created men and women with distinct roles that are different from one another. Therefore, the wife's role in Ephesians 5 here is to respect and to support her husband by submitting to him. Again, looking more at this word submits and what we were just looking at, this picture of voluntarily arranging herself under her husband's leadership. So we have to ask this question. How is a wife to be submissive to her husband? What does this truly mean? Because I can already hear the objections. I can already hear the comments. It's like, but but, but you don't know my husband. No, I don't know your husband like you know him. And that's where the challenge is. In the same way for the husbands. As they're called to love their wives. And men may cry, well, why should I love my wife? She has this, this, and this. So the argument can be on both sides. And we need to stay with the scripture and ask, what does it mean then to submit? Here, as Paul writes, it's to submit voluntarily to the Lord Jesus in love because he loved you first. That's the example. So wives are to submit to their husbands as the example as we see in Christ that he submitted himself to be obedient to the Father because he loves us so much. And when you look at the word and these scriptures that come together, um, it does not carry the meaning like a parent and a child in the sense of obeying a child like a parent like that. A child, by Scripture, are, is, it's required. You are to obey your parents for that is right in the Lord. The wives are to submit to their husband's leadership or headship voluntarily because they're following the example of Christ and it's rooted and grounded in love. This picture of humbling yourself and putting yourself under your husband's leadership freely. And again, I know Some of you are like, my husband doesn't lead. He can't lead. He will never lead. If you only saw what he did, and we could bring up all these things, and even God uh, directs from his scripture how to address those, which we'll look at here in just a minute. In the same way, men are not to force women, their wives, into submission. She's to submit willingly as Christ, and if not, she's going against the commands of scripture, just as if the husband does not do what he's called, he's going against the commands of Scripture. Look at verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife. Whoa, there's a word there, head. Again, another bad word in this world. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Again, the world hates this verse because it says the husband's supposed to be head of the wife. What are you saying? We're not equal? I can't do what my husband doesn't do? I mean, these are the arguments the world presents which sadly, sadly has so infiltrated the church. And we take what the world says and not what Scripture means and what it says for us. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Again, the the world loses their mind when they hear this. That's not happening in my world. That's not happening in my relationship. You narrow-minded, sexist, chauvinist bigot. You are unfair, unreasonable, and prejudiced. Pastors hear that many times when they address Scripture and just plainly read it. Sometimes the plain reading of Scripture gets so much attack because the Word of God, we're told it is offensive to the world. Do you know or do you even remember the Word of God being offensive to you before becoming a Christian? Things that you are like, no way whatsoever. But now you're like, oh, wow, that's what God's uh, truth says. And it's the Holy Spirit who's helped me understand and apply it in my life. But those negative types of attacks is the thinking of the world. And we must protect from it influencing the thinking of the body of Christ. So headship, what does it mean? When you look at this word here and when you look at verse 23, uh, headship in Christian marriage... and for all of the church is so important to understand because it speaks of Christ as well as the head of the church. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I'll read a few verses from chapter 11. It says this in verse uh, verse 3. Paul writes to the church and says, 1 Corinthians eleven three. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is who? Christ, the head of a wife, is who? Her husband. And the head of Christ is who? God. Look at verse 8. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. Verse 11 and 12. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman. And all things are from who? From God. Again, in Genesis chapters 1 through 3, we see headship, as we saw last week, in the marriage relationship before the fall. Adam was created first. God told him first before he created Eve, do not eat of this tree. So again, we, we saw that he gave him a will to obey. Uh, then he created Eve as a helpmate, as we were reading in Genesis 1 through 3, uh, 1 Timothy 2 verse 13 says, For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Now, if you'll remember, when chapter 3 happens, Satan comes and tempts Eve. She takes the fruit and eats, and who's with her? Adam. God told Adam, don't eat of this tree. He put him in a position of headship and care for his wife. As I said last week, he should have grabbed the serpent cut off its head, and threw it out of the garden. Instead, he stood back, and he watched as Eve was questioning and going back and forth with Satan in regards, well, did God really say this? And even the things that she repeated were not correct, and therefore she took, and she did that first, and then Adam did, but who did God hold accountable first in Genesis 3? Are you sure? You remember that? God comes, He's Adam, where are you? They're hiding. He's like, "Did he goes to Adam? Did you eat of that? What I told you not to?" And he blames God. First, he blames what? Well, the woman. And then he says, "And you, God, because you gave her to me." And then he turns to the woman. She says, "Well, the devil made me do it." And all the blame gets shifted onto someone else. But God held Adam accountable. So when we read in Scripture that when we are born into this world today, we're born with a sin nature. It comes from who? Adam, not Eve, yet Eve ate first. So know that when we read of the headship of Christ over the church and the headship of a husband over the wife, that's not a bad thing. That's something that God created in His perfect plan, in His way, and at the fall, after sin, when God cursed uh, Satan, when He cursed the woman, when He cursed the man, all of the things changed there because in chapter 3, verse 16, he says to the woman, your desires shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Conflict. Conflict from that moment to today. God said this would happen. Therefore, when you read the word submit, and when you read that the husband is to be the head of the wife, that's when the yellow flags and the red flags and whatever color of flags go up, because there's so much anger, because the world has tried to condition you to believe that something's wrong with what God's word says. Verse 24 of the text today. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husband. Husband. Your submission by respect and support for your husband, wives, is so, so valuable for the marriage relationship. Men are supposed to be quite sure of themselves in front of others, in front of you. But in reality, the more men I speak to, the more that I find that there are a lot of fears and question marks about their lives. Men generally know, husbands generally know if their wife loves them, but they wonder, does she respect me? Does she respect me as a husband? Does she respect me as someone who's working hard to provide for her and the children? Does she respect me as a father? And so men are to be strong and to lead by the power of Christ. But many men, we wonder, does she respect me? Does she have any concern for how I am trying to lead Because of sin, we all battle and struggle to walk in holiness, to walk in truth and love, to walk in wisdom, and therefore we have to pray, Holy Spirit, fill me up. Holy Spirit, lead me and direct me. Holy Spirit, help me because I am weak and I need strength. Um, To all the wives know that your words can make or break your husband. Some of you don't know this, but some of you know this well and can wield words in a way that you can break your husband. You can get your way. You can control him. And others of you know how just the encouragement. Your husband's eyes light up and he's so on the top of the world because he's like, my wife not only loves me, but she respects me. Wives, do you talk bad about your husbands to others, especially to your children? Can you say to your husband what you would say to others about him? You will never submit rightly to your husband until you learn from how Jesus has submitted to save you. Jesus Christ submitted to the Father and therefore, that's the example for submission between the body of Christ and for wives with husbands. <clears throat> no man can lead any woman who will not follow. And again, I know, I can hear it. But you don't know my husband. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. From time to time, I meet a Christian wife who is married to a non-Christian husband. Maybe she became a Christian during this marriage, or maybe she was a Christian before. Submitting to a husband who's not a Christian is a difficult thing. And yet, Scripture says that to do that, that they might be one <clears throat> over. But let me also say this. Wives, Acts chapter 5 says, it is better to obey God than man. You are not to submit to anything sinful that your husband asks you to do. You are not to submit to any type of abuse. If you're in an abusive relationship, you need to call the police. You need to leave the home and seek protection. You don't sit there and think, oh, I'm submitting to my husband as he beats you. There's nothing in Scripture that calls for that. So there is a balance in these things. And at the same time, we hold strongly to the word of God and we don't depart. So we need to pray for help with all this. That all the, all the wives would see that this is a good thing that's set up by God and not a bad thing that the world turns it into. Let's look at verses 25 through 32. I think the husbands are watching the time thinking, hey, I can get out of this, and I won't show up next week. Verse 25-32, the husband's role of sacrificial love. If you have been uh, at a pool uh, this summer or at the lake or maybe you've been at a beach before and you've seen a lifeguard present, they're supposed to be very vigilant. They're supposed to be ready with their whistle and flotation device to jump in and save whoever. You do not want to have a lifeguard who's on their phone talking to someone else, not paying attention. You want a lifeguard who will jump in and save you the moment that they see that you are in trouble. Husbands, you are to love your wife just like that lifeguard. You are to love her sacrificially by watching over her, by protecting her, by sacrificing of yourself for the well-being of your wife. And again, as you read this, the example is who? Jesus Christ. That's what we see here in verses 25 through 32. Again, don't forget, Paul is writing to Holy Spirit-filled Christian husbands, He's writing to the church, not to unbelievers. Major difference. Verse 25, he says, husbands, simply, he says, love your wives. Husbands, how are you loving your wives? Husbands, you are not to be weak, wimpy leaders. You're also not to be a cruel dictator. In verse 25, just like as we were reading with the the women's role up above, Verse 25, the sentence structure, it's written in the present present imperative, which is a command, and it's ongoing. You are to love your wife. You're commanded to love your wife sacrificially and to do it continually. This is the word of God for you. The word love here, this picture of unconditional love, it's not based on how your wife treats you. Some of the husbands in this room want to be like maybe, as I mentioned, some of the wives. But you don't know my wife. Don't know your wife. You're called to love her unconditionally. You are called to protect her. You are called to... If you look through this, everyone go back and read it this week. You read chapter 5. There's a whole lot of duties given to all of the Christian men, husbands in this room on how you love your wife. When you look at this word love and you look at how it's used throughout the New Testament, it's a picture. To listen to these descriptions of love, men. It says to value, to esteem, to feel generous concern for, to be faithful towards, to delight in, to honor. It means to provide all things necessary for your wives, protecting them from injury, protecting them from abuse, for caring for both their physical and spiritual needs. Therefore, again, read First Peter chapter 3. It says this in verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in, understanding, in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a, the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be what? Hindered. We don't want our prayers to be hindered. Therefore... Husbands, pay attention to the scriptures that are laid out here. Husbands, do not love your wife based on her actions. Instead, love her as Christ has loved you. Go back and read Ephesians chapter 1 and 2 and be reminded that before Christ saved you, the description of your life before, and 1 John tells us that Christ loved you first, And then, as he saves you through faith in Christ alone, he changes you. Your love for your wife must be sacrificial, just like Christ's love for you. Verse 25, husbands love your wives as Christ loved who? What's there? It says, husbands, verse 25, love your wives as Christ loved Who? The church and gave himself up for her. This is the good news. This is the gospel. This is why we gather. Jesus Christ loves his church. His church are all who have faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Therefore, the good news is God the Father set out his plan to save you from your sins. And he sent his son Jesus Christ to be born into this world, to add full humanity to his deity, the God. God, man, who never sinned once while he walked this earth. Therefore, Jesus Christ, as we were singing, the Lamb of God who sits on the throne, was the perfect, sacrificial Lamb, spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, and therefore he could go to the cross to end all sacrifices. No sacrifices ever need to be made again, according to Hebrews, because he was the ultimate and end of all sacrifices and at the cross, Jesus Christ not only hung there after being beaten, after being spit upon, after having his beard ripped out, after having a crown of thorns smashed on his head, and having his back torn apart with whips, he took your sin. All of your sin. And he bled. And his blood that was shed is sufficient to save you. And therefore, Jesus Christ breathed His last. He died on the cross. He was buried in the tomb. And on the third day, church, we praise Him for why? He arose again. He is risen. Some of you mumbled it. I know you're waiting for Easter, but He is risen. risen This is the good news, church. If we don't have the good news, we have no hope for anything in life. And therefore, when we read that husbands are to love your wife as Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her, that's the example. The good news, husbands, is your example for how you love your wives. And if you're here and you just heard the good news and you did not know that Jesus loved you first and loves you so much, then all I can say to you is Scripture tells us to confess your sins and believe that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father and he will save you, not based on anything that you can or would do. So husbands, remember the cross. Remember Jesus' love. Remember his sacrifice for you. And as you remember the cross, as you remember his love for you, you will then be in the right perspective of how you are to love your wife. Look at verses 26 and 27. Here's the purpose of Christ's love for his church and for the husband's love for their wife says that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the what? The word. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. That's Christ's purpose for his love for the church. Therefore... As Christ rose from death to life and He ascended to heaven, the Holy Spirit has come into the hearts of all believers in which He's constantly sanctifying us by His Word and continuing to work on us, making us holy. And that way, when we stand before God the Father, we stand in the righteousness of Christ, holy and blameless. And God the Father says, that's my son, that's my daughter, because He's adopted us into His own because of the work of Christ. Husbands, what do you say to others about your wife? What do you say to your children about your wife? Men, all the things that you own, all the fun things, all the hunting gear, the cars, whatever, I mean, make whatever list. Do you have the best stuff? Your wife's walking around with a purse with holes in it. Clothes that... Uh, maybe about falling apart. Are your needs first is why I'm pointing out these things. If you get an injury, well, I know men are bad at this time, but generally you take care of it. Clean it, put a Band-Aid on it, go get stitches, or you gotta get surgery. Jesus cares for us, His church, and nourishes His church because it's His body. It's natural for Christ to do. Husbands, this should be natural for you as you care for your wives. A couple of practical things that come to my mind. The example of husbands working versus not working. Laziness versus being a hard worker. Caring for your wife and children versus not. Paul writes to Timothy and says in 1 Timothy 5.8, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives... And especially for members of his household. He has denied the faith. And is worse than an unbeliever. For another day at another time. This does not have to do. Exactly with women working. I mean you can read Proverbs 31. The woman that is there at home. Caring for her child. Also brings funds into the house. But here's the problem. That I've seen. In years of ministry. Is men. Who have refused to be obedient to the Lord and have not worked to support and encourage their families and provide for them. Now, yes, there are exceptions. I know men who are handicapped and those who are disabled who cannot do what they used to do. They still strive with all their heart to try to do and provide for their families, but a lot of those situations, their wives are helping or those things are happening. Yes, there are exceptions, but I've met too many men in this world because they've grown up in a country who have taught young men today even to be lazy, to live at home to your old, to just take advantage of everything and not be raised, to be strong men who care and provide for their wives and for their children God knows if you're cheating the system. God knows if you are not truly providing, you have to give an account to Him. Husbands, are you leading your wife and if you have children in the Word of God? Now, you can ask my family. I don't get up every morning and get a pulpit out at our house and say, All right, children, wife, open up to Proverbs, whatever, you know, and preach a sermon. I don't do that. But we spend time reading or listening to the Word of God and praying. You don't have to have a four or five, three point sermon ready for your wife or for your family. Do you read the word and pray with them? Here's another example. Verse 31 32. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Paul quotes what we saw last week in Genesis chapter uh, 2, verse 24, to teach that husbands and wives come to together and they are unified. They're one. Uh, you're joined to your spouse. It's like I was, uh, uh, took some sheets of paper and I just wanted to see what would happen if you glued them together and, and tried to rip them apart. I mean, there's pieces, if you take particle board and you, uh, uh, you glue some stuff together and you try to take that apart, it's one of those things where it tears apart. It doesn't, it doesn't come apart. That's the picture of what happens. I can't even separate these. And yet, we live in a world where divorce is so easy, you don't even have to wait for the only exception which Christ gives, which is sexual immorality, This world just goes, oh, I don't like her anymore. I don't love her anymore. This is where I hate this about. So I just want a divorce. I want out. And the world grants that. Paul quotes here that you're joined together in sacred, sacred holy marriage which God created. And therefore, wives submitting to their husbands and husbands loving their wives is so important and such a challenge. As much as there's trouble in this world in marriages, Jesus Christ, who brings salvation, also brings restoration to marriage relationships. Just look with me in closing in verse 33. Christ-centered marriage. Christ-centered marriage simply says this, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. I don't know how many spouses in here have done this uh, as a couple before. I know that we've done this a few times where uh, I tried to put together some type of furniture and not use the instructions. And my wife is great at reading instructions. And there's times I've had to humble myself and say, I should have read the instructions. I should have listened. Uh, and, uh, no, don't tell me how to do this. I know how to do this. If so you just read the instructions. Um, Church, here's your instructions for life and godliness, in marriage, in singleness, in the body of Christ, parents, children, how you are in relationship to one another and to Christ. Here's your instructions. Simply read it. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you understanding and the ability to apply it in your life. Father, I pray that as we Uh, Close our time in song. That we would be a people who submit to you because you loved us first. That we obey you because we simply love you, Jesus. Father, I pray for every believer in this room that they would grow in their understanding of submitting to you and submitting to one another in the body of Christ. I pray for all the wives in the room here as there is a uh, a different message of the world's sins and clouds uh, the thoughts of submission and headship. I pray that you would bless the women uh, in this room who are married and will be married, that you would bless them with understanding, that you would give them strength and encouragement in your word, and you would help them in these things that you have given to wives. And Father, for all the husbands and all the men in this room who want to be husbands, Father, for myself, I pray that you would help us to look to the cross, to look to Jesus as the great example, that you would help us to love our wives as you love the church, that you would help us to give sacrificially and to give of ourselves and to care for our wives as you care for us. Father, would you build up any of the marriage relationships in this room that are strained right now? Would you bring about healing and reconciliation and forgiveness among marriages in the body of Christ that are struggling? Would you do a work, Holy Spirit, that only you can do? Father, I pray for all the men and women, the young men and women in this room, the children, all those who would be married in the future, would you prepare them for marriage? Would you set apart for them a Christian spouse that their marriage would glorify you? Jesus, we are in need of your help. We love you. We ask that you would help us to apply these things in our lives. May you receive all the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name.